the truth. Those are excerpts from last week's message about the truth. Today we expand the truth question to the truth about glory. Have you ever just thought about the word? It's a curious word when somebody says glory. I remember my grandparents had this slang uh, that they would use um, when they were shocked or amazed or like an exclamation. My, my, I can hear my grandmother say, glory be. Glory be. But what about the truth about more glory? This word glory appears 308 times in the New International Version. 296 in the New Living Translation, the most literal translation in New American Standard. 360 times we find this word called glory. So what does it mean? So let me give you the the most frequently used definition, glory. Honorable, dignified, powerful, distinguished, splendid. And here's my favorite in this definition, beautiful, radiant light. Beautiful, radiant light. If I see a, a sunset that's one of those, whoa, you know, glory. If I see a rainbow in the end of a thunderstorm, you just want to say, glory be, glory. This is where I want to begin today, and this is where I want to end today. With glory that can be transformed into more glory. As if glory in itself is not enough, there is the more glory. So today we begin in this search for truth with glory and a man named Moses. So let's begin with this, an almost unbelievable request from Moses to God. And a couple weeks ago, I preached a sermon here uh, called The Negotiation. And I, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but it's curious to me that two of the main figures in the Old Testament, Moses and Abraham, both had similar encounters with God where they both made an audacious, audacious, unbelievable request to God. Abraham stands before Sodom and he negotiates with God over how many righteous people it'll take to save the city. It's, it's an unbelievable negotiation. I remember in that negotiation that Abraham says, okay, don't be angry with me, but if I could go one more. You know, he recognizes the, the glorious power of God, and yet he still negotiates. And now we've got the other character in the Old Testament. This one's Moses. And he makes this almost what I call unbelievable request to God. Let me read it to you, just one verse, verse 18 of Exodus 33. Moses said this, show me, show me your glorious presence. Show me your glory. This was the desire of Moses' heart. And I pray today that you and I have the exact same desire that Moses did in this scene. That you would be audacious enough to stand in front of the creator of the universe and say, show me your glory. 
show me. Show us your honorable, dignified, distinguished, splendid, beautiful, radiant light. Now, you need to understand the context of this outrageous request from Moses to God. After all, can any man look directly into the glory of God and live? Or Moses, do you know what you're asking for? Can you look directly at God and survive? So why would you make the request, show me your glory? So what is the context of this request for glory? Let me give it to you. They've left Egypt, and now they're on Mount Sinai. God has just revealed some really bad news to Moses. That bad news has forced Moses to make this incredible request for beautiful, radiant, light, glory. Bad news has made Moses get brave and ask, show me your glory. What's the bad news announcement? Verse 3. God says to Moses, go up to this land, Canaan, the promised land. Go up to this land that flows with milk and honey, but I will not travel among you. Go to the promised land, take these two million people with you, but I will not travel among you. Why? For you are a stubborn and rebellious people. If I did travel with you, I would surely destroy you along the way. What? God looks at Moses and says, go, but I'm not going with you. Is this some sort of a test? Does God really want Moses to negotiate with him? I can't help but connect this scene to the one with Abraham. Does God look at Moses in this moment? Is it kind of a test? Does he want Moses to say, okay, we'll go on our own. See you later. Maybe you'll check in us when we get to Jerusalem. Does he, or does he really want Moses to respond to this idea that I'm going to lead two million people across the wilderness into the promised land and you're not going with us? This was quite a problem for Moses. Moses had encountered the glory of God many times before. You, you got to understand something in the sequence of events. This is not the first time that Moses has had some kind of a glorious encounter with God. In fact, it all began much, much, much earlier with an encounter with the glory, this beautiful radiant light that first manifested itself in a bush, a burning bush glory. Let's read that. Exodus 3, verse 4. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, the burning bush. Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at the glory. Now look how much he's changed. 
In this scene, he covers his face. Why? He's afraid to look at this burning bush. Fear of the glory. Fear of this radiant light. Let's be honest. Moses was terrified. Covered his face in fear. But that fear-filled bush event was before the time when God displayed his glory in the ten plagues of Egypt. And by the way, by the way, did you hear about the time when President Bush ran into Moses in the, in the airport? And, and it's not in the Bible. Some of y'all thinking, looking it up, looking, okay, where was that? That's be after Revelation. Did you hear about the time when President Bush ran into Moses in the airport? Back in 2009, right before President Bush boarded Air Force One, he looked over and he saw Moses standing in the airport. President Bush walked over and said, you're, you're, you're Moses, aren't you? Moses gave no response. Again, President Bush said, you're, you're Moses. I know you're Moses. No response. Finally, a little frustrated, frustrated, President Bush raises his voice and said, I know you're Moses. Why won't you answer me? Moses reluctantly looked at the president and said, the last time I spoke to a bush, I spent 40 years in the wilderness. <laughs> it's not in the Bible. Don't try to look it up. So let's fast forward to Moses and the children of Israel at Mount Sinai. He's had his burning bush moment, and now he's on Mount Sinai. They've left Egypt and their slavery is behind them. The promised land is in front of them. And God has revealed that his glory will not be traveling with them. Fearing that his glory might destroy them along the way. The Lord has set the people free. And the Lord uses Moses as their deliverer. Moses had accepted the calling of God. But Moses can't possibly imagine taking this journey through the wilderness without the glory of God's presence. How can I, Moses is thinking in this moment, how can I complete this task to take two million people across this barren land without the glory, without you with me? This is the context of Moses' request before God. When Moses said, show me your glory, that's why he makes the request. Moses had the audacity. Or maybe it's not audacity at all. Moses tells God this. If you don't go with me, I'm not going. What? Kind of sounds like Abraham in this negotiation. Show me your glory, your glorious presence. Moses tells God straight up, he's not going unless the glorious presence of God goes with him into the wilderness. Now, here's why I make such a big deal out of that. Is this a test? Is this a negotiation? Is this rebellion? Because if you read the context, God has just told Moses, you're going, I'm not going with you. You're going, you're going to leave them. And here, is this rebellion? Can you just look at God and say, you don't go with me, I ain't going. 
Is that a good idea? Will God strike Moses down for refusing to follow his very clear command, instruction? Or was it a test? This is really important. Was God wanting Moses to ask for the very thing he asked for? I need you to go with me. I can't do this without you. The truth is this. If you read the whole story, God is not offended by Moses' audacious request. He's not. So it kind of answers the question about what God expected in a response from Moses. This is after God had clearly said, but I will not travel among you. I will not travel among you. And then Moses says, if you don't go, I'm not going. So here comes after. So what's God going to do? How's he going to respond to Moses saying, you don't go, I'm not going. Next verse, verse 14. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses. Well, wow, that changed quickly. I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you, Moses. And then Moses says, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me and on me and on your people if you don't go with us? And here comes, I want, I want you to pay close attention to this next verse because it's going to come up again at the end today. For your presence among us sets your people apart from all the people on the earth. Your presence among us, church, you see that today? Your presence among us sets us apart from all the people on the earth today. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked. What? All you had to do was ask, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably on you, Moses, and I know you, Moses, by name. Moses replied, then show me your glorious presence. Before we go any further today, can you see it? Can you see the love that is in this scene? For I find it to be remarkable. They want each other's presence. They want to experience each other. God wants to experience Moses, and Moses wants to experience God. What do you call that? Love. Moses says, I don't want to be anywhere where you are not. It's called love. The man, Moses, that began this journey in paralyzed fear in front of a burning bush is now reaching out to take hold of God's glory as his most prized possession. You see how far this guy's traveled? First, when he sees the glory, he covers his face and wants to get away from it. And now, not very much later, after encountering the glory, he, I want more glory. More. I'm not moving unless you give me more glory. I want more of you than I've ever known before. 
It's the essence of love. Taking the risk to ask for something that seems unreachable, the glorious presence of God. Can you really ask for that? Can you just actually say, I want more of you? Revealing the one thing that Moses can't live without. God's presence. God's glory. This next part is God's physical response to Moses' request. Show me your glorious presence. Show me your glory. Now you must understand this is after. What I'm about to read to you is after 40 days on the mountain with God. This is after the Ten Commandments. This is after the plagues of Egypt. This is after the burning bush. This is after Moses threw down the stone tablets as the people were worshiping the golden calf. Moses had already experienced, look at the storyline. He has already experienced much, much, much glory. And even though he's experienced all the glory of those events, I say after, 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 after. What does he do? He, I, I want more glory. Can you run out of glory? How many times has Moses experienced God and yet his greatest heart desire is show me your glorious presence. I want more glory than I have previously ever experienced with you. And how will God respond? Because if you want to understand something about the character and person of God, how will the Lord respond to Moses' audacious request for more glory? Here we go, verse 19. The Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you. Stop for a moment and picture this thing. This is his answer. I will make all of my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you. For I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. But you may not look directly at my face, Moses, for no one may see me and live. And the Lord continued, look, stand here on this rock, and I want you right now to do something. I want you to try to make a, a visual image in your imagination of Moses standing out on a rock, having this conversation with God. This is real. It's not a Walt Disney movie. A real man standing on the rock having an encounter with glory, an encounter with God. So God says to Moses, stand near me on this rock as my glorious presence passes by, as the creator of the universe sweeps by him. And I will hide you in the crevice of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by Moses, because I don't want to destroy you. And then I will remove my hand and let you, Moses, see me from behind. But my face will not be seen. Every time I read that section, it makes me want to weep with tears of great joy. Why? God wanted Moses to want this. Church, oh, if I could communicate a single thought today, that's it. God wanted Moses to want more glory. That's what he wanted. That's why God's not offended by his request. If you don't go, I'm not going. 
Show me your glory. He's not offended. God wanted Moses to want this more glory. Moses had an undivided heart toward God. His greatest desire, church, are you listening? His greatest desire was to experience God fully, completely experience whatever glory that God would give him. Now, this next part is when it gets interesting and reveals something real for all of us here today. After this scene in the cleft of the rock, Moses needs to get two new stone tablets made before they begin their journey through the wilderness to the promised land. In fact, it's the very next verse in Exodus after he's had this encounter at the cleft of the rock. Verse 1. Then the Lord told Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones. I will write on them the same words that were written on the tablets you smashed. I'm surprised he's not still upset about that one. (laughs) Be ready in the morning to climb up Mount Sinai and present yourself to me on the top of the mountain. I don't think this more glory thing is over, do you? Because here it comes again. God is going to reveal even more glory to Moses the revelation of the person and the character of God as Moses carries these two blank stone tablets up the mountain, God is going to do something even more than when he showed him his presence in the crack of the rock. He's going to show him his heart. He's going to show him how he thinks. And how he measures people and their response. Here we go. Verse 4. So Moses chiseled out two tablets of stone like the first ones that he smashed. Early in the morning he climbed Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. And then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with Moses. And as, he, as the Lord comes down, picture this. He called, the Lord called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord's calling out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion. Now he's revealing his personality. You want more Glory. It's coming in the form of the revelation of how God thinks. Not just his glorious light, but how does he think? He calls out his own name, Yahweh the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity. Somebody say hallelujah. I forgive rebellion. I forgive sin. How would you know anything about this glory that he's revealing? I forgive iniquity. I forgive rebellion. I forgive sin. But I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and their grandchildren. The entire family is affected. Even children in the third and fourth generation. The first time. When Moses encountered God in the cleft of the rock, 
All of the Lord's goodness passed in front of Moses. But this time, can you see the difference? The glory of God is revealing the truth of God. It is revealing the character of God. It is revealing his name. He is compassionate, church. He is merciful. He is slow to anger. He is filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. He forgives sin, but he will not excuse the guilty. Those who refuse to turn and face the glory will face his judgment. To see the glory, church, is to know the glory. Not to know about him, but to know the glory. And God is revealing himself to Moses by revealing more glory than Moses had ever experienced. This isn't just about getting a new, two new stone tablets. It's not just about knowing the law that God's about to write on those two stone tablets. It's even more important to know the one who establishes the law. Do you see it? It's not about knowing what's written on the tablets. He wants you to know the one who's doing the writing, to know him personally. That's more glory. So how will Moses handle the voice of God? And the more glory of God, he's already experienced God putting his hand down, seeing him from the backside. Now he encounters God and God reveals his personality, his desires, his character. So how's Moses going to handle this? Verse 8, Moses immediately threw himself to the ground and he worshiped. That's a good place to start, by the way. He threw himself to the ground and began to worship, and he said, Oh, Lord, if it's true that I have found favor with you, then please travel with us. You see the urgency? I can't do this without you. I cannot do this without you. Yes, this is a stubborn and rebellious people, but please forgive our iniquity and our sins. Claim us as your own special possession. What a, what a request. Claim us. There's two million of us out here. Claim us as your own special possession. The glory. What did it do? It has driven Moses to the ground in worship. To be one with God in worship. And his request in this case is different. Did you notice? I ask you not only to go with us, but I ask you to claim us as yours. Your special possession. What happens next is why I wrote this sermon. From this point forward, not that I make light of any of the other, what happens from this point forward became a trigger, the Holy Spirit's trigger in my own heart, because what I saw in what I'm about to reveal to you was so powerful that the Holy Spirit convicted me. I must show that to the church. Let's go to verse 10. The Lord replied, listen, I'm making a covenant with you. Look at the context. I am making a covenant with you in the presence of all your people. I will perform miracles that have never been performed anywhere in all the earth or in any nation. Notice the word all the earth and nation. I'm making a covenant with you. This is going to be bigger than Israel. 
This is going to be bigger than the Jewish people gathered out in the wilderness heading toward the promised land. I'm going to make a covenant with you that's bigger than anything that's ever happened on the earth. It's going to affect every nation on the earth now and in the future. And all the people around you will see the power of the Lord. The awesome power I will display for you, Moses. But listen carefully to everything I command you today. Then, listen carefully, then, here's a covenant, and yes, I'm going with you, and then I will go ahead of you. And I will drive out the Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and any other ites that happen to show up. That's not in the Bible either. <laughs> and God is making a covenant promise to Moses. That covenant will reveal the glory to many people and many nations. And yes, today, today, a covenant then that affects us today. God tells Moses that he will go with them and he will go ahead of them and he will fight for them and he will give them the promised land. The Lord warns Moses about the idolatrous people that live in the land, and he reveals something that you would never know if God hadn't told Moses personally in the midst of the glory. God reveals to Moses, his name is not just Yahweh. Are you ready? He said, my name is Jealous. What? Yahweh Jealous? That's your name? Yes, that's his name. His name is jealous. So when you go into the land of the Ites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, understand something. My name is Jealous, and I will not share this glory that I'm sharing with you. I will not share my glory with idols. For my name, here we go, verse 14. You must worship no other gods. For the Lord, whose very name is Jealous, is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. When I read this in the New Testament context, it's like a bride, Israel in the wilderness, it's like a bride that is pledged, engaged to a bridegroom in the time of waiting. The bridegroom is jealous for his bride. Don't you cheat on me in the time of waiting, in the wilderness, before we get to the promised land wedding event. My name is Jealous. Listen carefully. Forty days will pass. Literally, forty days will pass. God with Moses on the mountain. Forty days. God with Moses on the mountain in presence of glory. God will give detailed instructions to Moses about how the people should live and how they should worship when they get to the promised land. Remember, Moses had walked up the mountain with two new stone tablets to replace the ones that he had thrown down and crushed in anger. This is where the story comes home to the church. I'm asking you to pay close attention to what comes next. And I hope that many of you will put the connection even before I reveal it. This comes home to the church. It comes home to me. This is where the story links the gospel of Jesus Christ the New Testament, to an event of Moses on the mountain experiencing the glory of God. Here's what's going to happen right here. Verse 28. 
Moses remained there on the mountain with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. In all that time, he ate no bread and he drank no water. Now, some of you would hear that and say, well, that's impossible. Then you have no idea who he's hanging out with. And the Lord wrote the terms of the covenant, the Ten Commandments on those two stone tablets. And when Moses came down Mount Sinai, carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. So when Aaron his brother, Moses' brother, and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face. They were afraid to come near Moses. Moses got so close to the glory inside those 40 days on the mountain that, let's be real, he got the glory on him. He literally got the glory on him. As my grandma would say, glory be. He had spoken to the Lord, and the glory, which is the Word of God, had so filled his life, even shining like a light in Moses' face. The Word, what's shining? What is it? What is on him? What is in him? What has happened to him? So that when he leaves the holy presence of God, he's still glowing. What is it? The glory. What is the glory? What did he encounter that he could carry with him? Because when he left God, if it was just the 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 geographical location, it would have departed when he walked away. He had heard the Word of God. Somebody listen to me. He had encountered the Word of God, and he was carrying the Word of God, the terms of the covenant between God and the people. He's carrying it down the mountain, and he's glowing. He's lit up. Aaron and the people were afraid to approach Moses because he had more glory on him than they'd ever seen on any person before. More glory. Can I just say something? Not just for that time when when Aaron's afraid to look at his own brother. But the church in America today, more glory can be a frightening thing when you have less glory. Think about it. More glory is a frightening thing to those who look upon it when they have less glory. Moses would uncover, listen carefully, church, I told you, this would connect that event to today. Moses would uncover. He would unveil his face. So they were so afraid of him that he put a veil over his face. But Moses would unveil. He would lift the veil off of his face when he spoke the word of God to the people. Oh, my, 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 my. I hope you're getting this. They were terrified, so he covers his face. But when he spoke the word of God to the people, he would take the veil off. But then he would veil himself again. He would veil the glory until he would speak or hear from the Lord again and got a refill. He would veil the glory. He was unveiled when he spoke to the people and when he was in the presence of God. You got to get this. He was unveiled when he spoke the word of God to the people, but when he went back to hear another word from God, he was unveiled. 
But in the meantime, it was more glory than the people could handle. So he kept on the veil because it was a fearful thing. This is where the New Testament picks up the story of the more glory and the veil. This is where you and I must come into the story today. Not Mount Sinai, not Moses, not even the stone tablets. We must come today seeking more glory, more beautiful, radiant light. Can you? You see, my problem, the problem with much of the church today is you read this story and you still don't realize you're in this story. You're in here. Do you believe you're in this story? 2 Corinthians 3, 7. This is the apostle Paul writing to a Gentile church. He'd just as soon be writing to each of us personally. Here we go. The old way. That's Moses and the law. Those tablets, those words written on those two stone tablets. The old way, with laws etched in stone, led to death. Though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face, for his face shone with what? The glory of God. Even though the brightness was already fading away. Shouldn't we, church, shouldn't we expect, expect far more glory under the new way now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? Did you catch the old way ended in death? The new way is more glory because it ends in life. Somebody say hallelujah, hallelujah, unless you're asleep. If the old way, verse 9, if the old way which brings condemnation was glorious, and, and it was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way which makes us right with God? In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all. Compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way, which has been replaced, was glorious, and it was, how much more glorious is the new, which remains, how long, how long? Forever. Say it out loud. Forever. Now why do I make such a big deal out of this? This was supposed to be the church. That's what the church is supposed to look like. And it doesn't. It doesn't at all. It doesn't. Sorry, it doesn't. More glory. Are you afraid of more glory? Most people are. Even in the church, they're afraid of more glory. They see the people with more glory, and it makes them afraid because of their less glory. When Moses comes off the mountain, who's Aaron? Aaron's a righteous man. He's going to be the first in the line of the high priest, and he's got less glory. He looks at Moses with more glory, and rather than wanting the more glory that Moses got, he's afraid of him. When he should have been saying, I want what you've got, more glory. 
What is this more glory? Ultimately, I don't think anybody's going to ask for more glory until they understand what the more glory is. So what is this more glory? What is this new way that has made us right with God forever? Do you know? If you were to ask, if somebody walked out, if you went outside into the world and they asked you, hey, I watched that video. What is the more glory? What is this new way that makes us right with God? Do you know? Well, I'll ask you, do you know personally how to explain it? This new glory, this new way, this new covenant? It's not something on the outside. It's something on the inside. And either you've got it or you don't got it. Do you got it? How could you got it if you don't even know what it is? It's called the Holy Spirit. It is called Christ in me. Not on a mountain or on stone tablets. Not external that fades away with time, but internal that intensifies with time. More glory. The glory now on the inside. This glory, this new way, is on the inside of us. And this glory is not fading away. No, 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 no. It's increasing. In Colossians 1.27, this is the New Testament church age. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles. What? What, is, what did God make known among us? We're Gentiles in the story the glorious riches of this mystery. What is this mystery? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, ever-increasing glory. Church, you must understand, our role in this present world, we are the light of the world. The glory of God is Christ in me that is to be received and then shared with those around us. When we preach, when we share the gospel, the glory of God, the glory of God, that that Moses got on him, when we preach, when we share the gospel of Jesus Christ, the glory of God is revealed to those who have not yet experienced the glory. The unveiled glory of God is the word of God unveiled. Unveiled released. And when it's unveiled and when it is released, it is a powerful light that changes darkness. Moses removed the veil to preach. Why? Why did Moses remove the veil to preach? Because the idea wasn't that Moses got glory on him and kept it to himself. He opened the veil and let it go so that the other ones got glory on them. And what was the glory? The Word. And who is the Word? What is the Word? John 1, 14. So the Word became human. What? That which got on Moses, that made him light up, scare people, and the Word became flesh and blood human. Do you know him? And he made his home among us. Do you know him? He was full of unfailing love and 
faithfulness, all the things that God told about himself to Moses. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we've seen his glory, right? The glory of the Father's one and only Son. John 8, 12. Jesus spoke to the people once more. He said, I am the light of the world. That 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 got on Moses, that's me. I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you have the light that leads to life on the inside of you. We cannot hide the glory of Christ that lives in our hearts. When we speak and when we live our lives in the dark world, the glory of Jesus is revealed into the darkness. We, the church, were created by God to unveil the glory. To unveil the glory. To unveil the glory. Take the the veil off and let the light that is in us shine through us into the world. We preach the Word. We teach the Word. We live the Word. Yes, this glory will make people afraid. It always has. It will make people afraid. And yes, some will even become angry when, you, when they encounter you with more glory. They'll just get mad. But we must reflect and reveal the glory of Christ. This is our calling. This is our purpose. This is the mission of the church. We will bring glory to the Father. How? By revealing the glory of the Son to those who do not know about this availability of more glory. Now, let's go back to Apostle Paul's glorious instructions to the church. And as I read this, I need for you to do something. I need for you to insert yourself into the story. You must understand you are in this story. Verse 12, since this new way, that's Christ in me, not on the outside light. Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We're not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory. Even though it, the glory, was destined eventually on Moses to fade away. But the people's minds, now he's talking about Israel, the Jewish people. The people's minds were hardened, and to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. So that's why many of the Jewish people still don't recognize Jesus as Messiah. And even though many of the Jewish people are, are, are coming back to Israel, migrating back to Israel, they're coming back in unbelief because the veil's still there. For a little longer, the veil's going to be there. And when will the veil be removed? And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. That's the only way the veil gets pulled back. Yes, even today when they read Moses, the Jewish people, when they read Moses' writing, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, oh, my, 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 my. Listen, what, what is this? Whenever someone turns to the Lord, when they encounter this, when the veil's lifted, whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit. And wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had the veil removed, I wish that was everybody in this room. 
So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect. You see, seeing is what you got out of it. And reflect is what you're going to give to somebody else who doesn't know about the glory. Can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into glory, into His glorious image. So let me wrap it up. Here's, here's what I want to do. There are two moving scenes in the book of Ezekiel about glory. I'm talking about blow your mind glory, okay? Chapter 11 reveals the time when the glory of the Lord departed from the Jerusalem temple. Two scenes. I need to give you one and then the other. Ezekiel chapter 11 describes the time when the glory of the Lord, the glory of the Lord, that he was living, the glorious presence of the Lord was behind the curtain in the temple in Jerusalem, and he leaves. And he leaves. The glory departs. It's a horrifying event because when the glory of the Lord, which is this glorious radiant light, only darkness remained when the light left. And if you read the story, that's when Jerusalem was destroyed. The Babylonians came, set the temple on fire, and destroyed the whole city. The glory had departed and destruction. Listen, destruction follows his departure. If you read in the Old Testament a word called Ichabod, you know what Ichabod is? The glory of the Lord has departed. Ichabod, terrible word. But Ezekiel has another glory moment that makes the hair stand on the back of my neck. It's about a future glory. More glory than any of us in this room can comprehend. And I'm going to proclaim it to you today. Listen carefully. What you do with it will be on you. Today I'm telling you there's a day on God's calendar when glory's coming. A glory that is unimaginable that would shake the planet when it arrives. And the entire universe will be transformed upon his arrival. The glory is coming. It's found in chapter 43, and it reveals a time in the future. I don't know the day. I don't know the hour when the glory of the Lord is going to return to Jerusalem from the east. I just want to read two verses. Ezekiel 43, verse 4 and 5. And the glory of the Lord came into the temple through the east gateway. And then the Spirit took me up and brought me into the inner courtyard, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Now listen, I'm talking about the physical person of Christ is going to come and fill the temple and fill the earth. One day, maybe soon, the glorious presence of Christ is going to come to this present earth, specifically Jerusalem. So with that in your mind, I got a question for everybody here. I'm talking to everybody here. If you're watching online, I'm talking to you too. Can you honestly say right now, right now, today, this moment, I want more glory. Would you, would you dare be so audacious today that you would stand before God and say, right now, right now, today, show me your glory. Show me you 
more glory than I have ever known before. This Moses, when he made that request, he had already had so many encounters with God. Nobody had had that many encounters with God, but he had. And yet he wanted more than he had ever known before. He, he wasn't content with a limited amount when there is an unlimited still to know. Show me more. You see, Moses experienced the glory, more glory than most humans can even imagine, and yet he still wanted more. The final chapter of Deuteronomy reveals the death of Moses and this. One verse, verse 10. There has never been another prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Church, here's the grand finale. You ready? God has offered you more glory than he offered Moses. And what kills my soul is the church isn't getting it. You're not getting it. You read this story of Moses and you think, whoa, wouldn't that be cool? The God of this universe has offered you and I more glory than he offered Moses. Some of you don't even believe that. You think I'm just doing that to make a point. No, he has offered you the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, can come inside and live inside of your mortal flesh. A never fading glory from the inside out. Bigger than anything Moses ever encountered in his entire life. God has offered you and I today. The glory of Moses' face was fading away. Did you notice? Can you see how Moses was terrified by the thought of leading these people through the wilderness without the glory? Moses knew that none of them would make it to the promised land without the glory. Moses knew something that the church still hasn't figured out. Nobody's getting to the promised land without this glory. If you think this is optional equipment for a few special people in the church, what? The indwelling spirit. Whoa. A few people get that. You won't make it to the promised land without that. Nobody is going to the promised land without this spirit, indwelling spirit, the person of Christ. It's not just for a select few on the outside fringe. It is the church. It is the church. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no church. Moses was not the glory. He was a preview of the coming glory, our deliverer. Hebrews 3, verse 3. Listen carefully. But, Je but Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses. Just as the person who builds a house deserves more praise than the house itself. For every house has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant. His work, what I'm reading to you today about Moses' work, was an illustration of the truths God would reveal later. He's an illustration of the truths that would come with the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Not an external glory, but an internal glory. But Christ, 
as the son is in charge of God's entire house. And we are God's house, God's temple. He'd be living in this temple until he lives in that temple in Jerusalem one day. He'd be living in this temple. We are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. Today I declare we are God's house, which means the glory of the Son and the power of the Spirit lives inside of us today. More glory than Moses ever imagined. Jesus came to reveal and deliver the glory of God to the kingdoms of men. The glory of God was wrapped inside of human flesh, bringing more glory to us than Moses ever, ever knew about. I'm not making light of Moses. I'm just telling you the new way is far greater. Moses' way led to death. This way leads to eternal life. This new way is not by obeying the law of Moses, but by receiving the glorious spirit of Christ that does not fade away. It only grows more and more powerful with time. So, today, we with unveiled faces, we keep preaching about the glory. We unveil our face. We take off the veil. And we preach the word. Let your light shine, church. Why? Because before he went to the cross, Jesus has this prayer this powerful prayer with his father. And he says something like this. He says, I have brought you glory. Jesus talking to his dad. I have brought you glory here on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. What is the work? The cross. He brought glory to the father by completing the work of the father. The church has been called to receive the glory and reveal the glory to the world. This is our mission. We must unveil the glory. You cannot unveil the glory you do not have. You cannot unveil that which you do not have. You cannot unveil the work of the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit is not in your life. Matthew 5, 16, last scripture. Jesus says, you're the light of the world. Well, where'd you get that light? You are not the light of the world absent the Holy Spirit. You are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. That's the unveiling. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, in the same way, let your light shine, church. Let it shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father. Not you, praise your Father in heaven. May this be the calling and the purpose of your life. What? What Jesus said to the Father. I have brought you glory here on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. One last point. When Moses is about to make his audacious plea to the Lord, he says this. He says, how will people know that I have found your favor? And that Israel has found your favor if you don't go with us. Who's going to listen to me if you're not with us? And to the church today, let me ask you, who's going to listen to us if he's not with us? Who's going to listen to the church if, if, if he's not with us? Moses says, who's going to care what I think to lead these two million people if you don't go with us? They're not going to listen to me. All right? So that's why if you don't go, I'm not going. So church, who's going to listen to us?
if he doesn't go with us. And then he says this, for what will separate us from the people of the earth? Your presence. What is it that would separate us? I'll ask Chad, come on in. What is it that separates the church from the rest of the world? One thing. The glorious presence of God. The Holy Spirit. Now today we're going to do an invitation very different. I'd like to be very specific. I had a conversation with Morgan Penn last Sunday. Made me think about something that I'm going to do something different today. The invitation today is going to be a song. And in the song there's going to be two choices I'm asking you to make. The first choice is this. Today, some of you sitting in this room need to come to this altar and you need to tell God today, right now today, show me your glory. I today seek you. I seek you, your glorious presence in my life. You, you need to do that today. Before you walk out of here today, you need to do that. And right now you know that you need to do it. You already know that this is the day I need to do something myself. I need today to stand before God like a Moses and say, okay, show me you. I want you, I want, I want you today to reveal yourself to me in power and authority. Except this time it's not going to be uh, some, some light that comes down. This time it'll be the, the Spirit of Jesus Christ coming inside of you as you confess Him as Lord and Savior. Now there's number one. And don't try to do it for somebody else until you've done it for you. Because here comes number two. And there's people in this room today that I've been pushing you really hard for weeks now to intercede on behalf of somebody who is lost. You've got the light. You've got the glory. You know about Jesus. He lives inside of you. Praise God. But you've got people you love that aren't. You've got people you love. You love. And they're lost. So here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to come to the altar. And I'm asking you to ask God, show them your glory. That I believe that's what you wanted all along, is for me to ask you to give them what you gave me. I want you. Do you think God doesn't already want that same thing that you would ask him for? So first, you better ask for yourself. And secondly, come to this altar and that person you've been thinking about who's lost, who is not going to get into the promised land without this glory inside of them, they will not get in. They will be lost, forever lost. Inhale. Ask God to give them, show them the glory. Would you do that for them? Would you love, would love you see, it would only take faith for you to do that. God won't listen to that. Then you don't know this God. You still haven't figured out who he is then. He is compassionate and merciful. And he is filled. He forgives sin, rebellion, and lawlessness. Father, in Jesus' name, your word is lifted high. Show us your glory. I pray right now, desperately. Show us your glory. The church needs to awaken. We need your holy fire inside of us. We will not make it from this wilderness into the promised land without you. If you don't go with us, we can't go. How will any of the people in the world know that we have your favor if you don't go with us inside of us? And Father, the only thing that will separate us from the rest of the world is your presence. 
So, Lord, may your presence descend upon us. And those names that we intercede for today, I pray in Jesus' name that you will hear these prayers and you will show those people your glory. Release your power among the church. Be glorified. You, be glorified today. In Jesus' name, amen. The invitation's open.